listening to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with host Shereen Rice on the CWR Talk Network. Good evening, this is Shereen Rice with Making a Difference About Domestic Violence. My goal for this show is to educate and help in the healing journey for those that are suffering from domestic abuse. If you'd like to call in, please call 917-889-8078. If you're listening tonight and would like to get in touch with me, email me at shereencwr at gmail.com. <laughs> I almost forgot. I would love to hear from you. I want to do a shout out to Ashley Martledge. Yes, I did it last week as well, but she did such an awesome job at the University of uh, Utah Valley University uh, Domestic Violence Conference. I just wanted to tell her, hey, great, amazing, totally awesome job last week. And uh, she taught us a lot about how the brain works on trauma, and it was uh, it was excellent. And uh, I want you to know, Ash, I love you, and keep up the good work. She's uh, hitting those uh, conferences these days, so it's good. Okay, I'd like to remind everyone that our show is every Thursday night, 6 p.m. Pacific, 7 Mountain, 8 Central, and that, of course, would be 9 Eastern. My show can also be heard on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play if you subscribe to those services. If you want a direct link to those services, you may go to the CWR homepage on the website. And the website is cwrtalknetwork.com and click on the logo for that service. If at any time you experience a trigger by this topic, please call the national hotline 1-800-799-SAFE or 1-800-799-7233. I want everyone to be safe, so please please use that number if you absolutely need to. It's, it's uh, paramount. Okay, we're going to go to a public services announcement, and I will be right back. My savings are gone. Okay, where were they last? Here, right before I spent them on that vacation to Aruba. Weird. Not weird. Not saving now means no money later. For free ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with your host, Shereen Rice, on the CWR Talk Network. Okay, thank you for joining me tonight on Making a Difference About Domestic Violence. I have a guest tonight that's going to be more like a co-host. Uh, we're going to discuss uh, five ways to not be used, vulturing victims, and moral obligations, which I think all three have a, a connection. So we're going to be talking about that. Um, so I want you to welcome Cassandra. Cassandra, do you hear me? Hi. I can. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> Yay. All right. So we talk about all sorts of things on our, our site anyway, um, but this uh, it was one of them a few days ago I put this on. So the five different ways to not be used. The first one is belief patterns and not apologies. And I always put watch patterns. Patterns of behavior will speak louder than uh, anything else. Now, let me share an example. And then, Cassandra, I want you to chime in after you hear this example, because I'm sure you have several. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay. A lifetime so my, worth. <laughs> yeah. 
truth, truth, truth. Okay, so my abuser, one day he was asking me um, if I had ever been intimate with this one very dear friend of mine. And that's a male. And I said, oh, absolutely not. We're just friends. And so I thought I would, you know, uh, I wondered kind of where that came from. So I asked him about this female friend that he had that was actually his best friend's wife. And I said, have you ever been intimate with her? And he blew a gasket. <laughs> I said, mm-hmm. oh, so you have. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, behavior, I mean, it doesn't even have to be a pattern, but behavior speaks volumes. I knew from that instant, oh, yeah, good. So I'm going to meet this person as his best friend's wife, his really good friend, and I already know that he's been having sex with her. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm like, ah, did you have any experiences like that with your abuser? Actually, it was almost ex- exact examples. <laughs> I know. They're, they're just so uniform, aren't they? <laughs> we, we had temporarily separated. Um, Child Protective Services was doing an investigation of when he had abused me, and we were legally separated by the courts because of it. And after the courts closed the case, um, sure enough, he was right back at the doorstep. And um, he, when he wouldn't leave, he just, one of the day, couple, sorry, a couple of weeks after, he just went into asking me, did I sleep with anybody while we were separated? And I looked at him and said, no, I told you I was going to keep my, my vows. And I still treated us completely married the whole time. And... Um, I got accused of, you know, who is that on the phone? Is that the person you were dating while you're, you know what I mean? Like that's the type of questions. And um, his children accidentally ratted him out because they had a sleepover at his coworker's house one night and that they locked the door in the bedroom. So the kids ratted him out um, unknowingly. And so he was guilty of his own uh, um, accusations. Yeah, and that's what they do. They it, they'll make, they'll accuse you of things that they've already done, right? Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I had to say, yeah, I I recognize that. But you know, good for the kids by accidentally ratting them out. <laughs> and that's all I have to say right? on that. <laughs> okay. So number two is don't fall in love with potential. And what I want to say about this is, uh, growing up, all you hear is. Diamond in a rough, diamond in a rough, diamond in a rough. And you're like, okay, so I have to be patient for this diamond in the rough to become a diamond. And so that's why we put a lot of patience into our relationship that is going nowhere. And, um, but this is how I feel. I feel all girls who are dating anyone, no diamond in the rough, ladies, no diamond in the rough. They better be a damn diamond before you marry them, period. I yes. mean, no, no diamond in the rough. I don't care what anyone says. There's such a diamond in the rough. They're going to be such an awesome person. Okay, no, 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 no. <laughs> They're not an awesome person now. Don't go near them. Don't walk in with blinders. Walk right. in with without those infatuation phases and those lust eyes. Go in knowing that we all have flaws. Right. Right. We all have flaws. But can you live with that flaw? And that that's one Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the problem. Is sometimes you're like, oh, yeah, that one's too big for me. That's a little mm-hmm. more than I can deal with for the rest of my life. 
Um, but you can't go it, in with expecting to change the person either. No, no, no. And um, I'm not sure if diamond in the rough means you're going to change a person. I don't think anyone should change, try to change another person. Um, though that's what abusers do. They try to change their victims. And they, they're successful well, at it, actually. But also victims try to think that, you know, they go through that pattern of abuse of, well, maybe I'm causing the triggers. Maybe it's me. Or maybe right. I'm doing something wrong and I can fix him. Maybe something's wrong with him. Maybe he has a psychological problem. Yeah, or we and so, try to change ourselves to fix oh, the problem. And for me, I did both. I, for, I went yeah. for a long, long haul of, you know, nine years of searching through books and um, reading on how to change me to be better for him. And then also thinking, okay, I think he's, I think he's got borderline personality disorder or, oh, maybe he has this, (laughs) you know, maybe, maybe he has split personality disorder. Maybe he has this trying to think of things. Cause I'm like, this is, he's, he's telling me I'm my, his comment always was, um, He'd put his hands together and make a circle, your world, and then he'd make a big, huge circle and say, reality, always oh, letting me know oh, that no. my world was not in reality. Yeah, and also he's ridiculing That was his go-to. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a ridicule. That's what they do. They try to make you diminish you, minimize you, make you feel like nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of their, their norm or what they do. Okay, so the next one was uh, believe all red flags. Now, the problem with that is going into a marriage, you don't even really know what a red flag was. I didn't have any idea what a red flag was. So we're just going to throw some red flags out there. One of the red flags that I have is um, they raise their voice. Now, this isn't very common before you get married, I will tell you that. If it is common before you get married, run, run, run. But that is definitely a red flag after you get married, raising the voice. How about with you? Did they raise their voice? Did he raise his voice when he wanted to control you? Yes. Yeah. His his temper level increased night and day, literally on our wedding night. Oh, yeah. I call it as soon as the ink is dry. (laughs) I'm serious about as soon as the ink was dry, the abuse uh, commenced. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay, another one that um, I noticed was um, ending a ridicule with just kidding or don't be so serious. Always just kidding or are you kidding? Are you serious? You're getting mad about that, that I said that about you, you you know. Okay, if they say downplaying your feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they mean it and they want to ridicule you because they want to diminish your self-esteem because as soon as they do that, they can now mold you into what they want. Exactly. And, um, yeah. Yours use those uh, terms as well? Yes. Absolutely. That was, that's a fun one. Okay. And then um, <laughs> this is what I say. Any type of ridicule, I mean any type of ridicule is a red flag. Even if it's in a sarcastic Huge. way. Right. Right. Absolutely. In a sarcastic way or, you know, again, ending with just joking. Yeah, it's not sarcastic. It is real. And they mean what they say, and they want to use it to diminish you, to make you feel like nothing and make you into nothing, actually. Okay, so posturing, every guy has a different type of posture. 
Mine liked to grit his teeth. As soon as he grit his teeth, out went all of his family members. They're like, he's going to explode. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought he was just being a jerk, but I didn't know, you know, explosion time was on the, on the horizon. Um, what did yours like to do for posturing? You know, he didn't necessarily do the posturing. He did um. I, I kind of call it a pregame. I would wake up early in the morning. He would usually wake up an hour or two before I did. And I would wake up to hearing him practice a fight with whoever he wanted to fight with. Not physical, oh. but verbal fights. In the mirror, in the bathroom. No, and he did it daily. And down the road, it could be a day later, it could be a couple of weeks later, but it was always in that range. Um, and of course, it took a while for me to notice a pattern. So for a little while, I did think he was he had um, voices in his head because he was talking to himself in the bathroom. But when I started eavesdropping into his conversation with himself, he was prepping for fights that weren't necessary. And then he would piss and moan and complain right before we were going to like his mom's and stepdad's house. And he'd like, we're just gonna. They're just going to ask us to do all this and this and this and expect us to go help build the cabin and they'll just um, work us as slaves. And, and I'm sitting here thinking, well, we're a family and it's a family cabin. Of course we're going to help out. Like, I don't understand what you're talking about. And sure enough, the fight that he was prepping for weeks on end ended up happening in front of everybody. Yep. And he even had a brother-in-law. Um, one more, sorry. He had a brother-in-law that... <clears throat> They did not agree on politics at all. My ex was very super, super staunch um, Republican, and this guy is screaming liberal. Um, and my ex, is, in fact, his degree is in um, political science and history. So, and he had he's really good at debating. So he would argue in the bathroom for a couple of days before a family event, like Thanksgiving or a birthday party or something, um, if he knew that, that if, our, if his brother-in-law was going to be there. And sure enough, they would get, you know, spitting back and forth at each other, arguing about politics, and Jason would always outwit him because Jason was prepping the fight that he caused. He set up the fight, didn't he? He did. And then yeah. after the fights would be done, he'd like, see, I told you this was going to happen. And I'm sitting here thinking, because you, you're the one who caused it. Like, I couldn't say yeah, that anymore by the time that happened. Yeah. But in my head, I was like, you caused the fight. Yeah. You, you're the one who brought it on. You've been prepping for it for weeks in the bathroom. Like, I couldn't tell him that I was eavesdropping and hearing what he was saying every day. Right. <clears throat> wow. Well, yours is really a, a good one <laughs> on that posturing. <laughs> you practice posturing. Um, sometimes posturing is like lifting a fist or swinging around a gun or um, the way they stand like they're, you know, with their arms out and they're going to bully you. Um, that's what posturing is. Um, what about subtle comments that only the partner would know? Um, that, that's not posturing, but that's definitely, um, a red flag. The only thing is, is yeah, you know, and I try to tell people, you know, um, sometimes, you know, I mean, there was like a certain way that he, there was a certain sway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There would be a certain sway that was done it, but every 
circumstance, you know, was slightly yeah. different, but yeah. Yeah. So like if um it might seem really uh minimal out in public, but you knew what how how that was going to play out when you got home. So sometimes exactly. they would say things like, uh, yeah, let's talk more when we get home, which meant I'm going to beat the crap out of you. And you yeah. knew that, you know. Whether it was um, emotional or physical. It could be right. either or both. Right. Even sexual. Right. Right. Beat the crap out of you. Um, do, yeah, verbally, physically, or sexually attack. Right. Um, <clears throat> so, yes. And so that's why I always tell people, when when they're standing there watching a fight, uh, or a, 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 a maybe it doesn't even look like a fight, and he says maybe a debate like, or an argument, may, maybe not. But what I'm saying is he might be he might just say you know let's talk when we get home. And he's very nonchalant, which you know is a trigger for you because you know you're in a whole lot of trouble, and so you start a fight with right. him, right? You start yelling at him. He's, tell, he's then, telling you we're putting a pin on this until later. Right, right. And then um and then everybody looks at you and like, Wow, she's a witch you know, and I so every time there's a situation and it upsets some people sometimes, when uh someone blows up and you think that's so out of character for that person, my first question yeah. is, What did he do? And I always ask that. If someone blows up, people don't, you know, blow up just because someone says, Hey, we're gonna talk when we get home, right? That's not something to blow right. up for. So my right. my questions are always, what did he do that just triggered her or that she's blowing up like this? Um, do you remember that uh, woman, that uh, teacher in Salt Lake that killed her ex-husband's girlfriend? Mm-hmm. It was about, oh, six months ago. It wasn't even that long ago. Well, the first thing I said was... I. I wonder what he did because teachers, number one, don't ruin their career for any reason, you know, just for medication that they're taking to the children. It was built up somehow either in her head or he did something to create the buildup in her head or did, you know, and um, she felt this was her only way out. And so anyway, that was the first thing I said, because this is so out of character for teachers, very out of character for teachers. And, um, oh, I, I got a lot of flack for it, which I can see their point if they're not looking at it the way I am. Does that make sense? Yes. Hold, hold on real some, quick. Okay, go ahead. Oh, hold on real quick. Did, All right. Did you call 911? Okay, thank you. Sorry. There's an assault Wait. happening right now while we're talking live. Oh no! Called children. But someone else has called 911, so it's okay. No, just oh, no. in my community. Oh no! Sorry. <laughs> no, someone else is taking care of it. I'm back. I'm all yours. Okay. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Call the police. Okay. So anyway. Someone so, else is. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, all I'm saying is, if there's something that's out of character for someone that it may not seem like this isn't logical. Why would they do that? Uh, the first thing I ask myself is what did the other person do? And it's like, as a teacher, I'm a teacher, you know, and I know when a kid poking another kid and then the other kid just backhands them like no other. So I don't say to the kid who backhand them, um, what, why did you do that? I look at the other kid and I said, what did you do that caused them to do that? Because they don't just Mm -hmm. backhand people. 
no one just right. does that. Right. So anyway, that's uh, kind of how I look at that a little bit. Uh, for absolutely. Uh, for posturing, but anyway, so I, there's verbiage, and I write about this in my book. There's literally verbiage that these people use. One is the word crazy. So if they use the word crazy a lot, and I actually um, read about this in one of the articles that I was reading lately. I probably posted it on our site, but um, it's very common for them to use the word crazy. You're crazy. And and my, <laughs> I know where I was thinking about it, too, is when we were talking about, and we're not to that point yet, when we were talking about um, the other, the new victim, uh, the the perpetrator will call the old victim a a crazy a crazy person, and the new victim will believe them. Yes. So they like to call you that to your face and behind your back is what I'm saying. Yeah. And then absolutely. another word, and I I I don't know if I can use this, but it is a family show. But the word bitch, um. I'll say that just once, <laughs> um, is another word that abusers like to use. Now, I was they do. very blessed. Yes, I was very blessed. I was called the crazy psycho bitch. <laughs> oh. I had a three in one. <laughs> so mine, went, mine, mine called me the C word a couple of times. Uh yeah, I would get to and that. That's supposed in a that's supposed to be the worst one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not even to that point yet, but that is the worst one. Uh, mine wouldn't dare. I probably would have pulled out each one of his teeth. I don't know. I don't know what I would have done. It would have <laughs> not been pretty. <laughs> okay. So, um complaining about your weight. Oh, you need to lose weight. You need to gain weight. You need to do this. Nothing's oh, good enough about yes. your Yes. Yes. So, yes. Then the next one is something about your looks. Oh, your hair shouldn't be like that. Your hair should be down or your hair should be up or your hair should be curled or your hair, you know, should be straight. Whatever it is, um, your looks, your face, don't put enough makeup on. Go put makeup on. Go put more makeup on, you know, take off makeup. Or, I mean, or even the opposite. Why are you putting on makeup? Who are you going to go see? Right, 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 right. Right, that's a biggie. I had both. Uh, yep. And with the weight. Take it off. <laughs> you could afford yeah. a few more burgers on you. You add those few oh. burgers on to your waist, and then yeah. he's saying, you know, why do you have muffin tops? Why do you have camel toe? Yeah. yeah. I'm just I'm just quoting. <laughs> yeah, I know. But that's know. what really happened. Yeah, I know. It's sad. And then um, another one that I came up with is what you have already said, the C word, or making inappropriate sexual remarks. Are you having an affair? I guess you, you actually touched on all that. Um but that's, these are the five things that they will do uh, almost all the time. Now, they'll do it either in public or private. They don't care. It depends on their personality disorder. Right. Mine, if he would do it in public, it was in a joking, sarcastic way. Yeah. And so like then behind guy. closed doors. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, they always have to look like the good guy in front of everybody else because, remember, you're the crazy one, right? <laughs> yes. crazy psycho. So they have to um, make people believe that, and they'll do anything to get them to believe it. Can you think of any other red flags while we're on that subject? Um, <clears throat> red flags. I would say money. 
if you're if you're already in a relationship, how should money really be distributed? Right. You know what I mean? If you're in a couple, if you are in a relationship or if you're married, you know, you need to discuss who might be a better budgeter or should you guys budget together? But both of you should have access to funds. Right. You should not have to ask for your money. Right. Um, In fact, that one was a big one with us. Yeah, we were talking to someone recently on the site about that. No access to funds. No job, nothing. Now, another one I was thinking of was they like to minimize the victim or minimize anything they do. That Mm -hmm. being said, uh, sometimes they need to look like the good one, so they'll maximize what you did. Well, you started the fight, you yelled at me, and then minimize mm-hmm. what they do. And I just responded with the C word. Mm. <laughs> I only did this, and you did all this, you know. That's right. uh, when they have to maximize you, but minimize you is like, uh, yeah, that's not really important, we need to move on. You don't right. matter to them, you know, and I, I have to tell you, in relationships, I have to feel like I matter. Or I don't want to be in it. I yeah, you have to, to feel valued. Someone. Absolutely. Yeah. Valued and wanted and needed. Yep. If at any time you start to feel like, oh, my opinion doesn't matter, I don't matter, uh, th- that's a, a huge red flag. Mm-hmm. And, uh, again, run. Okay, so number yep. four for, for this. Oh, um, can I add one more on number three? Yeah. If they if they trash if they do a lot of trash talk on their parents or their coworkers or their friends, like if they have if they can say a lot of negative things about their close circle, and they talk a lot of gossip about his close circle of people who should be there for his that have his back, that should be a red flag too. Because if he's saying bad things about his mom and his stepdad and his stepdad or and his dad and his stepmom and his siblings. And his coworkers, and of course they don't happen all at once, but you see it, you know, in a couple of weeks, a couple of months. But if you see that he always has to have conflict <laughs> with somebody and he's always saying something bad about somebody, there's always someone he's upset with, that's a red flag, huge red flag. Huge because red flag. Because you're, but, I promise you, when you're not around, he's going to be saying it about you. Right. Uh, but that Because they're always grooming. Also, yes, they are always grooming. Um, that being said, always. it's not only their, their close-knit friends. But also, if they trash the person, the victim before you, oh, that crazy psycho, you should have, oh, my, she's she's crazy. I don't know what to expect from her. They will trash talk the person in front of you. Guess what, honey? You are next. Mm Mm-hmm. And people like to believe, and I was one of them. I'm not going to say I wasn't. I I was one of them. Um. First thing that came to my mind was when he started trashing his wife before me. I'm like, uh, two, his two wives before me. I'm like, oh, I'm next. As soon as he gets mad, so you don't want to make him mad. But that being said, um, this is a little bit off the subject. I read an article where, <clears throat> and it might have been a uh, imperial article. I'm not sure. I can't remember now. Uh, uh, abusers don't have friends. They have people who fear them, and that's what I found out about myself. The more I was in his presence, the more I feared him, the more I walked on eggshells to not get him to explode. Yeah. 
So <clears throat> anyway, just watch that as well. If you're starting to yeah. get, fear him or if, number one, they don't have friends. Their friends just, they just don't want to be Absolutely. the enemy. Right. Well, and they're always constantly grooming because they have to rotate through short friends. They only have short-term friends. Um, they always have to have conflict. So they either are always constantly rotating new friends, new groups, or they just have conflicts with their continued circle of group of friends, if that makes sense. Right. Or they have and that would include in family. The house. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. yes. So right. always there always has to be at least one or two or multiple conflicts. Right. Yeah, I remember that one. Okay, uh, number four in the five ways to not be used is know, know your worth. And remember what I said about um, he will make you feel like you don't matter. We need to make ourselves feel like we matter <clears throat> when they don't. Right. When, when my ex and I first got together, <clears throat> he came in with you know, the knight in shining armor riding on a white horse trying to portray that he was, you know, coming in to save me. And I didn't need to be saved. I was a young, I was 25 and had just had my son. And um, he came in, he's like, he needs a father. Well, I agreed with that. And he's like, picked him up and loved on him. And they bonded really well. And so he, you know, he played that big role instantly um on you know trying to pl pl play the that he's everything's perfect and he's the knight in shining armor at the beginning it's not until after you're you're hooked like a fish is when you'll <laughs> see those oh i love that analogy i have to tell you yes when you're hooked like a fish yeah yeah and, sometimes and you, you are and then <laughs> yes you are hooked just like a fish yeah you're hooked just like a fish <clears throat> Yes, absolutely. You're totally in that you're... grooming fish, in, in that grooming seat, water pond. It's called grooming pond. He's fishing, and he grew. You know, he keeps grooming and grooming until you believe everything they say and think that he's amazing and perfect and Don Juan, or you know, he's just a charmer and just a sweetheart and a hard worker. And he's had a lot of hardships in his past, and then you bite onto the you bite onto that worm, and now you're hooked. Right. Right. And you're not only hooked, but you stay hooked and you don't see the red flags. That's why we're bringing them forward. Because Absolutely. We blind ourselves from the red flags. So that's why I'm pointing them out because I want people to say, hey, you know what? Shereen said that was a red flag. <clears throat> Watch it. Yep. It is a red flag. If I say it's a red flag, it's a red flag. <laughs> You've read the book of The Gift of Fear. It's my favorite. <clears throat> Um, in that book, they have 30 that they discuss in here. Right. And I have the book out. I'm trying to just think of any ones that we kind of haven't covered because some of them are kind of lumped into one umbrella, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, um, it's, I if the woman has intuitive feelings, I completely agree. But the one yeah. that on number one, it says if women have any intuitive feelings that she is at risk, mm -hmm. if you have any first gut instincts, you need to follow it. And that's why I think this should be taught in the high school <laughs> because it was pretty sad the age I learned that after I read that book a few years ago. I'm like, are you right? kidding me? 
You mean someone could explain this and that easy? You know, that gut feeling, the one that, you know, yes. something just seems wrong. You can't see it. You can't put your hand, finger on it. You can't, nothing. But in your gut, you know it's wrong. Yep. You know, something's yep. wrong. <clears throat> That's why I tell everyone, if there's just something that just doesn't seem right, and I'm actually <laughs> sad to say, dating someone where something just doesn't seem right. And uh-huh. um, so I've had a I call lot them of interviews. Flags. Yeah, I've had a lot of red flags. I do interviews before I date. Oh, really? Well, I do. I, don't I do. do interviews per se because I'm not sure I'd know what to look for. But they don't I'm know they're this. on an interview. It's just in the talking phase. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I do the same thing. You know, you ask them questions and so forth and so on. Yes, I do the same thing. I'll ask them questions and I I know how an abuser will respond. Or someone, yeah, someone that I shouldn't be with. Yeah, so <laughs> so anyway, yep. for about six months I've been going out with this guy, and every single time I talk to him or interview him, uh, there is, you know, just jumping red flags. But I don't see him that much, only like once or twice a month, so it hasn't been, you know, that bad. And right. But recently I've seen him like three or four times this last month, and so I'm like, I – I think I just need to tell, tell him, uh, you know, it's best we just be friends because um, mm-hmm. something's not right. I can't put my finger on it. I've never seen it. He's the nicest guy. He's loving. He's caring. He's amazing in every way. But mm-hmm. something is just not right. But then, you know, you also have that thing, well, am I just too oversensitive because of what I've been through? Well, I'm not going to take that chance. <laughs> right. <laughs> Someone else might take that chance. I'm not taking that chance. So. Uh, oh, can I say another one in red flags? I know we've moved on to four. No, go ahead. Um, in the book, it's on page 212 of The Gift of Fear. Um, and it is written by Gavin DeBecker. He's amazing. Every amazing. female should read this. In fact, every person should read this in high school. I every agree. person. But. Um, this one says he resists change and is, and is described as inflexible or unwilling to compromise. If you're with someone who um, you can get him to go, but he pisses and moans the whole way there, and yeah. by the time you get to the activity, you no longer want to do it because he made it so miserable prepping for it and going and doing the activity, that should be a red flag. He wants to always be in control. It always has to be his idea. Yeah, or, or his, what he wants to do. Uh, and I'm glad you yeah. brought that up. Um, I don't know if you have any personal examples. I have several. One of them is I love movies. I love to go to movies. Mm-hmm. I love watching movies. And I enjoy movies. And so I would, you know, ask, hey, can we go to the movie? Well, you know, first it would be uh, the bitch and the moan and the, the everything. And then it would be mm-hmm. I better see someone die in the first 30 seconds or I'm or an explosion or we're leaving. Ah. So it's threats, you know, threats are another good red flag. <clears throat> and that wasn't threat of me. That was threat of we're not going to do what you want to do. Right. If I don't get my way about this. That sounds like an opportunist type mentality. Yeah. They're yeah. only out for themselves. Yeah. They but can portray also, to be your friend if it, if it, if they can see a benefit from it. Yeah. 
I, I kind his of benefit was to be entertained. Yeah, I consider it a, a threat only because it's it's a, a choice of this my way or the highway. And um, and it will end up being be, threats in other ways down the road. Yeah, there could be threats of physical harm. There could be uh, <clears throat> threats of oh, you'll never see your friends again. You know, if if this doesn't go well, we're never going over again. You know, I mean, the threats mm-hmm. the threats are lengthy. I mean, I I was threatened almost daily with something new, and it wasn't mm-hmm. bodily harm. I don't think he. Well, the only time he did threaten bodily harm, that was almost every night. But yeah, it was. He'd pick up his gun and okay. So believe it or not, he would actually say this, and he didn't say it once, twice, three. I don't even know how many times. I mean, it was probably three hundred times. And he'd pick up his gun at night and say, uh, if I feel a big one coming, Mom, I'm going to put my head next to yours, and then I'm going to pull the trigger. And he'd be holding his gun, sometimes, uh, of course, not holding the trigger, but definitely holding it <clears throat> close to his head, kind of making the point, I'm taking us both out, you know. And that constant, that was a constant threat, and that was bodily harm. But um, a lot of times it was, you know, the conditioning of uh, we're not going to stay at this movie type of a threat Mm -hmm. in my opinion but yeah did you have anything like that no um but like i said in the past we had we had to do that child protective services report right and investigation and in that report it showed that there was a criminal charge between him and his second wife Uh um and yeah between him and his second wife and the police report um, it showed that he had just received criminal mischief and disorderly conduct type charges, class B misdemeanors. Um, and, but then when she was interviewed, when my investigation came up, so a year and a half later, um, she was interviewed and she said, well, there was a lot more to the story. He threatened me with a gun. And so they yeah. added that to my investigation when she was being interviewed. Oh, good. I'm glad they said that because he did, he didn't ever he didn't ever point a gun to me, but she claims that he pointed a gun to her when they were having an argument, and the argument was that she was on call to work. Right. And even if you there is a gun in the house, that increases the mortality rate. The fear. Uh, yep. Yeah. Well, it ra- it raises 500 percent chance of getting killed. Right. In in the domestic violence. And I'm a violence supporter exchange. of the Second Amendment, you know, to to bear arms. I'm a supporter of that. But Me too. if that person has red flags, those arm those those firearms better not be in the home if they have right. red flags like these. Right. Well, after I was uh, beaten up, um, I put a restraining order on him, and he went in and he goes, "Well, Wait, I just was want it a gun. restraining order or protective order." Uh, no, I, I put a restraining order, and they took the guns out of his possession. He fought it, and he goes, I just want to go hunting. I don't, I'm not going to use them against her. <laughs> he, he just wants to go hunting. He only held that gun to his head next to mine for I don't know how many times. Anyway, so uh, she goes, oh, he just, the judge goes, oh, he just wants to go hunting. This is a female judge. I'm like, are you freaking stupid? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? You're not even getting so, this picture, are you? <laughs> just, just for those who are listening in, I, I do want to make sure because this is very, very fresh for me. Um, 
after he, my ex beat me up again, he was, he's been my ex for almost five years, but he beat me up again at a park when, with my kids around. They witnessed it um, in July of last year. And I reported to the police about a day or two later because I thought I had gotten away from the abuse because I'm typically used to being punched upside the head and getting knocked out or choked until I passed out or a snap in my arm. And we think, oh, crap, is my arm broken? Kind of those kinds of things. Um, With this situation, he was holding on to me, which is considered unlawful detention because he's not letting you leave. Um, And on the CPS side of the world, there's a lot more charges that can be done. But on a criminal side, that's what those would have been. And he, um, I reported a couple days later after I saw all the bruises that were left on my arm. And I went to the police department and let them see all the arm, my arm after my sister called and reported it and showed them the pictures and and there was a temporary protective order put in place. Now, a protective order is in place by the state or by the county, and it's enforced, but it's a law, it's a, it's a criminal enforcement. So if somebody violates a protective order, they will be automatically arrested, and they cannot have access to their firearms. They do need to be removed. Yeah. Now, from... July to December, it rolled over to a restraining order. He now legally has access to his firearms, and it's no longer in the criminal charge in the criminal courts. It's civil. It's basically saying, "I don't like you. You don't like me. Don't talk to me, and I won't talk to you." If somebody violates a restraining order, the police all they'll do is write a report about it. If you get the right kind of police officer. Right. Um, depends on the mood and if they're going to believe your side or their side, if they're going to write a report. That they're not right. going to jail if they violate it unless there's crimes being made on top of the the civil order of a restricted, uh, no, um, a restraining order. Right. Uh, do you know who Kate Gruel is? I do not. She has, a, or there was a documentary done on her and uh, she's absolutely amazing she's a domestic violence guru and uh, the name of that is private violence anyway in the movie private violence when she's being interviewed during one of the experiences she's on a radio show and this guy goes hey you have a stack of restraining orders she goes yeah we call those last will and testament oh because they don't mean a thing Yes, they don't. The and police are not legally your... bound. The police are not legally bound with a restraining order to do anything. Well, yeah, exactly. But that being said, and I'm not diminishing anybody, uh, law enforcement are not trained to be therapists. They have Correct. usually only a high school diploma, or a, pl- a high school diploma, and training on different things. But right. they really need someone who is extremely trained in the area of domestic violence before they e- even open their mouth. Because 100% of all the women that I've ever interviewed, which is a lot of women, in uh, in Douglas County or down in southern Utah, 100% of them, have, whether they were arrested or not arrested, were always victimized, re-victimized by law enforcement. And it's not their fault. They haven't been trained what they need to right. do and how they need to do it. They've been trained to be bullies. I like bullies. 
sometimes I want a bully standing next to me when I'm dealing with a bully. You know, you're abusing right. the bully. And um, so that is uh, the perfect quality that we want in them. But they need to have someone else with them that they can collaborate with. And what they have found throughout the United States is when you have a domestic violence advocate with law enforcement, they will typically arrest the right person and the uh, victim will not feel re-victimized. But there are those areas of people who think they know more than the studies that have been done. And like I said, Mm -hmm. then they become part of that 100% of uh, victims that continue to be re-victimized by well, and I want to add something there. I know that you're um, getting ready to, or you've started a book about um, negative experiences with police. It's and not really negative. It's voicing their opinion on what has <laughs> occurred. It's Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but what I'm trying to say is if you have that victim advocate who has the social work background and education and work history, they'll be able to see who really is the victim. The victim's going to be right. scared to talk because they know that right. the perpetrator is going to come back as soon as they're released. Yeah. And so I would love to see that in all states and yeah. all countries, yeah, um, I would that like if, they're, if they're on a call federally. for welfare checks, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'll even bring that up to my cousin. He helps do, a, he's a delegate. He works every single day um, with the legislature in Utah. So I can't help everybody out, but getting it started helps get the ball rolling other places. But that's something that I can help advocate for is um, a lot change on making sure that victims advocate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it should be a federal law, but starting at the state level, I think it's really important. California has an extensive program that they have down there that works really, really well. And it's pretty impressive. And it's all volunteers, but they're very, very, very well trained, and they know how to help the victims. And uh, That's wonderful. They refuse to do that here in Southern Utah, unfortunately. I mean, blatantly refuse. And uh, because I brought it up and brought it up and brought it up and brought it up at these meetings that I attend that are DV related for community mm-hmm. resources, and they have blatantly re- said, basically, we're not going to do it. And and it's because they, well, and we all know this. It's not a secret. It's very well documented. Forty-three percent of all law enforcement are uh, have DV tendencies, domestic violence tendencies. A lot of them are narcissists, and therefore they have to have all the power and control. Once they are healthy, they don't have to have all that power and control. But when you're dealing with an unhealthy law enforcement officer, they have to have that power and control. Right. And and I completely agree with that. Yep. That's my biggest concern. But anyway, so uh, let's move on. And uh, (laughs) it actually will tie into this. It's called, What is Vulturing Victims? Now, a friend of mine brought this up to me today, and actually we've been talking about uh, with this other friend um, for some time. Uh, I'd say a week. (laughs) So I guess two weeks maybe. Not a, a really long time, but what do vultures do? Vultures, you know, they lie in wait for their dying prey. They circle their prey until they can get the most out of that dead animal or half dead animal. And that's what some people do 
to victims. Uh, you know, who's easier to arrest, a victim or a perpetrator who is who has created an entire very well thought out lie, or a victim who is in total shock, maybe has a mild TBI and uh, doesn't know what happened or what's going on or uh, you know a- anything. So for me, I by the time police would show up. Um, in different circumstances, but yeah. for me, I was finally, I felt final, I finally felt safe when I knew police were on their way for me to voice my opinions and just shout out and freak out on that person who had just massively abused me emotionally, mentally, psychologically, physically, sometimes sexually. Um, and so when they they would show up, it's, they're looking at this calm, cool, collected, methodical <laughs> charmer. And yeah. there's this me dropping the f bomb, saying, you know, fuck you. Yeah. And so they're like, oh yeah, she's definitely the aggressor. Yes, yes. Yeah. Remember, I discussed that earlier. They did something to um, poke and prod, and you're reacting to their poking and prodding, or their beatings, or their verbal abuse. Exactly. Well, I have, a, but not all people are with have that much wherewithal. I had one friend um, that lives close to here in southern Utah. She was very badly beaten. Uh, she was pushed down. Her wrist was broken and um, and she didn't even know it at the time and she's just in her house rocking back and forth and she peed her pants and I mean she totally was gone and they're like uh, you got to do what we tell you. You got to do it now and they're yelling at her. Well, number one, mm-hmm. when someone is in such shock and emotional strain, they're not going to hear you. They're not going to mm-hmm. do what you tell them to do. You need to have Because they're in that PTSD realm. They're in a different right. realm at that point. Right. And that's the unfortunate part that law enforcement doesn't really get. Um, you can't be right. yelling at them because that's what you've been trained. The louder you yell, the more people are going to ha- do what you want them to do. And so she ended up being arrested instead of the perpetrator and that happens a lot a lot more it than does you think. it's easier to arrest a victim than it is a perpetrator but when we do that we are only advocating for domestic violence so when cops say hey i'm against domestic violence you know you want to see i don't really think you are <laughs> you know? right right and because I, of the lack of education right because of their lack of training. And and they can't have training both ways. You can't train someone to be a bully and train someone to be um, uh, a molly coddler too. And I'm not saying that DV advocates molly coddle. They know how to show empathy for a victim. And mm-hmm. uh, that's what is needed. And I love that show. I love that uh, little clip by Brene Brown. I don't know if you ever saw it. I, I think I posted it a few times called The Difference Between Sympathy and Empathy. Very important to 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 understand those differences, but <clears throat> right, right, yes, I'm I'm going to tell you, uh, I am writing that book on that subject, and I will tell you that I've had a lot of people volunteer uh, their voices to be heard, and um, unfortunately, it's not really pretty. So I'm hoping for some pretty ones as successful as possible, but I don't have any at this point, and I have several people. Mm. But anyway, so, all right, so we're talking about vultures. So vulturing is just not law enforcement by any stretch of the imagination, but it's also those that make money off of victims. Um, This could be lawyers. 
you know, uh, this could be um, people who have under the umbrella of GV survival. Um, it could be they could put on classes or retreats or something to that effect. When they're <clears throat> lying in wait to make money off of you, um, this is when you need to be. Oh, really that's in the light bulb for me. Yeah. Sorry, well, go ahead. Was, you keep going. I'll ask my question in a minute. You're fine. Okay, go for it. Well, I was actually really shocked. This friend of mine and I were talking, and she's uh, very well uh, acquainted with this one group that I was acquainted with as well. I'm acquainted with several groups because that's what I do. I, you know, I intermingle with a lot of different groups, and um, <clears throat> they totally uh, charge you for everything. Um, yeah. if you want to be a member, it's like $500 or a thousand. If you're a part-time member, it's 500. It's a full-time member. It's, and, and the membership doesn't give you anything. It gives you the privilege of serving you mm -hmm. know, your time. <laughs> you get to pay and serve simultaneously. And, um, and it's very pricey. And, uh, so I said, Hey, I'd like to volunteer some of my time for you. And they're like, well, part-time or full-time and I said well I'm pretty busy with my dissertation so let's say part-time and they said okay mm -hmm. can you pay us $500 I said no I said I was serving mm -hmm. <laughs> I want to give back I'm not you know I want to serve <laughs> mm -hmm. my time for free <laughs> you know right so anyway I thought that was pretty hilarious but uh, what was your light bulb go ahead mine wasn't under the exact realm that you were going for um but like I said, with the, the last incident with my ex-husband, he had called me from work and told me there was an emergency and I needed to meet with him immediately. Well, he had the children. He was playing daycare while I was at work. And I met up with him and he told me that the emergency was to help him decipher on whether he should stay in the re – he, he worded it as shelve the relationship. Um, with this girlfriend he had had. And he had claimed he'd only been with her for about three or four weeks. I know better because my kids had been telling me when she had been coming around and staying. By then I knew she was actually living with him, but he had claimed that they had only been girlfriend, boyfriend and girlfriend for three weeks. And I have to go off of what he's saying to not let the kids get the wrath of telling the truth. Right. right. But I ended up playing therapist with him for almost two hours, missing work, missing a, a, a promotional job interview, um, and on the shelving of this relationship. And it was, he would, he wanted, he didn't want to compromise what he wanted to do, but he wanted her to hold, uphold her, his standards, which would have been um, an oxymoron, not an oxymoron, a, he expected expected her to not have contact with her ex, but he wanted to have unlimited contact with me privately yes, that's and and um i asked him i said okay well you need to weigh out your options it's whether you're going to be with her or not you got to lay out the pros you got to lay out the cons there was he said the only thing and when he responded to that me asking well lay out the pros and the cons he said well let's just say it like this the only reason why i want to be with her and i don't want i'm having a hard time walking away from shelving the relationship is because of the financial benefit Oh my well, I gosh. didn't know her, and I said, so what do you mean by the financial benefit? She has five children. Four of them are minors. One barely got married. 
how is that going to be a financial benefit? You have four other children, and so, and and she has full ch- four children herself, like or four minors herself. Like, how is that going to be a financial benefit? That's going to double the cost, maybe triple, depending on the age of the kid. And he had said, well, you don't know her finances. And I said, you're right, I don't. And it's not my business to know that information. But you brought me here. I missed a job interview that was at my job to for a promotion. And, so, and you said it was an emergency. So if you want to talk about it, let's talk about it. And he had said, well, um, you have to understand, the first four children, their dad died, and there was a financial benefit of his of their death, plus they oh, get no. SSI. So she, she well, after her, her husband or ex-husband died, there was a, either a trust or a life insurance policy that was given to her and the kids, and then she also received Social Security income for all four of the children. Come to find out, they're receiving you know, somewhere between one and two thousand dollars a month in child in SSI per child, and so I and then she also has a job where she makes any. It's a lot of it is commission, some of it's base pay, so she gets anywhere from forty five to sixty thousand a year. And I kind of just quickly did the math on my phone and looked at him and I said, "You're a freaking gold digger." I'm like, the only reason why you want to stay with her is because she makes six six figures if you count the children's money. I'm like, that's the children's money. That's not her money. That's the children's money. And then he said, and there's also the fifth child. The fifth child was also receiving child support. And because he was the six-figure income earner, that was approximately 1200 of what he was telling me. And I'm assuming it's give or take a couple hundred dollars from that because he's not an honest person, but he couldn't walk away from the relationship with her because he wanted to stay with the money. And he did end up marrying her. So, and this, like I said, the incident that happened, that was July 19th, and he ended up marrying her in um, October. And he's been using her money for all of our legal obligations. Oh. Yep, that's a vulture. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and, and that's why I got beat up is because I stood up for her and said, you're lucky I don't know her yet because as soon as I do meet her, I'm going to let her know what your agenda is. Mm-hmm. You're a gold digger, and that's where the abuse came from. Right. Well, well I would like to say I'm surprised, but um, when I said to – uh, someone who knows my ex, I said, why did he marry me uh, at all? I mean, what was he thinking? He knows my standards. He knows what I do. He knows how I live. He he knows everything. He goes, because he wanted to quit his job and you have a good one. Mm-hmm. Wanted to quit his job. There you go. <clears throat> Yep. So he's not only a gold digger, they're lazy. So I'm just glad I'm rid of mine. But um, unfortunately, because you have children, you're not rid of yours. Right. But he, for my circumstances, he's he hasn't made any contact with them since October 3rd. Well, that's good. 
after the scary the scary part is is that legally he still has 50 50 custody so he could show up anytime he wanted um and for the kids and for me at this point it would feel like kidnapping if he didn't notify us um because he's abandoned them for so long with zero contact right well Okay, let's talk about another subject, the last one, which um, I think also <clears throat> has a lot to do with everything that we've been talking about. And you brought up today in, in our group, um, what are moral obligations as a survivor? Now, you did bring up one aspect, but there's lots of moral obligations. I like your aspect yes. because, uh, and, and why don't you share that with everyone since it was your, your comment. Okay. Um, so I posted on her group page on Facebook just asking if you have a moral obligation to notify potential future victims um, what they're getting themselves into. Um, I, someone had responded on there, you know, explaining that we, as us getting into a new relationship, we need to make sure that we keep our eyes wide open and we do our own homework which I do agree with. But my question at that point was people who know that perpetrator is what I'm going to use. Um, are, are we anybody? It could be a best friend. It could be parents. It could be an ex spouse. It could be, you know, adult children, but um, are we morally obligated to tell the future potential victim what risks they might be taking. Um, I know that you and I both had, are on the same page where, yes, mm -hmm. we do have a moral obligation to let them know, even though statistics show and say that they're not going to believe you because you're, they've been grooming. They, they've mm -hmm. already hooked them with the, with the fish hook. You know, mm -hmm. they're, they already are going to believe what they're going to believe. Them, but at least um, you gave them a forewarning, and when that happens with that forewarning, you can say, at least I warned them, and hopefully they keep their eyes wide open, and hopefully they run mm -hmm. be quicker than I did. Yeah. Uh, you did all you can do is how I look at it. But um, with that warning, um, one thing that the brain cannot shut off is what they heard and probably how they heard it from you, like the fear in your voice. But what they heard was my husband's an abuser and that's going to go through their head and they're going to say, no, no, he's not. But then every time he's going to do something, what, what comes back around? Ooh, she said he was an abuser. She said it was an abuser and that's abusive. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it stays in the back of their mind. It can't be unheard, can't be unread. It's there. Mm -hmm. And I think personally that it helps them get out sooner than later. I, th I, I That's what you hope for. And I think it really does because it's permanently bedded in their brain. Right, right. So they might make excuses at the beginning for a little while, yeah. but. Yeah. They'll hit their enough button is what I call it. Yeah. They'll hit their enough button or they're done sooner because they were warned. Yeah. 
Yeah, and um, so, yeah, and it's good. And they may never like you for sharing that information. Uh, let me give you an example. Right. My mom married this guy that um, was very abusive physically towards her. And um, just just after she married him, um, we got a letter in the mail from someone, uh, an ex-wife that, showed that he was abusive everything i mean this girl she was thorough she had everything newspaper articles law enforcement uh, everything anyway so i called my mom and said well you know i didn't know anything about abuse i have to tell you that at the time and i said what are you thinking about this he goes she's just trying to cause problems well just the other day i said i wonder who that lady was because i'd like to call her up and thank her she goes why she just wanted to cause problems i said no she told mm-hmm. you what I would have told you. He's an abuser. That went through your mind. And when he abused you, you got out quicker than you would have if she hadn't have said that and done those things. I said, I'd like to actually thank her for, for doing what she did. And uh, so, <clears throat> so my mom didn't look at it that way, but she does now. After I explained to her, I said, you know, you can't dislike her. You'd have to dislike me because I did the same thing. <laughs> right, right. Well, and I even, like I said, I told I told my ex-husband's brand new wife, I mean, as of October, they got married. I told her when I finally let her see my bruise and let her know what she was getting herself into. Um, I told her, I said, and I know, I already know that he has been grooming you for a year he convinced you to leave your husband and divorce him, and now you guys started dating, and now you guys are trying to have a child, and you guys are going to get married. Like, I know this. Like, I get it. And I'm like, I'm the crazy ex. I get it. And I'm like, just so you know, You're if you break up with ex. him, <laughs> right? I am. I'm the next. Well, I'm not, I'm wife number three and four. I was I wasn't brilliant enough to be done with one. I was I was wife number three and four. Oh, so she's go. wife number Let's five. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, uh, well, four, fifth marriage, fourth wife. Yeah. But um, she, I told her, I said, even when, if you decide that you're done and you're like, oh, my gosh, you were right. I'm so sorry. I said, I know that you hate me. I'll, I know that I'm in the future or today or tomorrow, you're going to hate me. I know it. I'm crazy right now. I'm psycho. I'm crazy. I'm selfish. I'm, I'm a bitch. I get it. You're the next one, though. (laughs) And I'm like, but just so you know, when it comes time to that you need help, I'll be here for you. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And wife number one was for for me. I reached out to her. All I did is show her a picture and said, the only thing you and I have in common is the same um, ex-husband. Yeah. I need help. I don't know what you did to protect your two, but I need help with to protect my two. Yeah. And by then, when I reached out to her, they hadn't been together for 19 years. And it took a couple of days for her to, you know, muster up the courage to respond. And she responded back and she just gave me the slew of resources that she took back, you know, 20 years ago, 19, 20 years ago on to get her help. And I, I believe in paying it forward, and I also believe the, the moral standards of forewarning. So. Yeah, I do, too. I think that's so important. 
uh, and I agree with that. You know, you know, I agree with that 10,000%. I get asked that all the time. Would you tell the next victim that they're abusive? And I say, oh, absolutely, you will tell them. Yes. And, um, and so I don't make friends easily, for sure. <laughs> that is always my um, my answer. And I, I tell them straight up, she will disagree with you. She will probably hate you. She will believe you're the crazy one, but someday she'll know that you're right. Mhm. And hopefully, the, which is how and, I felt for me. Yeah. We just with wife number two. Later. Did she tell right. you that he was abusive? Um, she's the one who caused the DC uh, the CPS investigation. Oh, good. She saw she saw the the choke marks and saw my arm in a sling, and the kids had <sighs> told her that um dad had pushed me down until i fell and my arm was hurt um and she just barged into the house one day knowing knowing that her ex-husband my husband um was at work and was easily 45 minutes of a drive away from my home and she said you know i know what's been happening the kids tell me um, there's an investigation going on. You need to run away now. And I'm sitting here thinking, you're crazy. You just barged into my private home. I don't know who you are. And I thought of all the crazy slew things that my ex-husband had, but husband at the time had, um, made me believe. And I'm seeing it right there in front of my face. You know, she doesn't know boundaries. She doesn't know respect. She just barges in. And I'm sitting here thinking I'm feeling threatened by her, you know, so I didn't want to believe the things that she said to me, but she told me some scary stuff. You know, she let me know that he had threatened her with a gun, that she had scars on her oh. back from a, um, him beating her with a wire hanger, that he kicked her her butt, rear, her, her rear end, multiple times in front of a friend that um, isn't a department manager for a local um, hunting store. And... <clears throat> Um, she told me all of those things, but I didn't know if I should believe her or if I should believe him or if there was truth in between the middle or anything because of the gaslighting and the, the groom, the grooming. Right. Well, so, and this is how I look at it. Um, they're telling you what happened to them. Right. And, and there she was is totally no truthful. Yeah. And there's no in the middle. And law enforcement no, on, likes to on look a victim, the middle. They always on the victim the side. <laughs> on the victim side, if you are if you are a victim of domestic violence and you actually say something, it's fact. Right. They'll even admit mm -hmm. their their part their part that they're guilty of. Right, and that's how you can tell a victim from a, a, a abuser by chance. If you didn't know that, a abuser will never take any accountability. A victim will take some. Right. An abuser will throw a victim and in front of the, the abuser will uh, only take the some. Right. The abuser will only take some under pressure or <laughs> manipulation. The facts are laid out in front of them. Yes. Yeah. Manipulation. Yes. Only for manipulative purposes will they do that. Yep. Absolutely. So anyway, it's uh, that's the I only. I feel like I took why. over your show. 
no, not at all. You did a great job. <laughs> but I did sit on something and my volume went down so I could hardly hear you. So I'm like, I got to pull that volume back up. I don't know what it is I sat on, but anyway, it sounds like my volume. Sorry. No, no, you did a great job. And and it's absolutely true what you're saying. Um, if people can, there's a distinct behavioral difference between abusers and victims. You just have to recognize what a victim will do. You have to recognize what an abuser will do. And um, once you can do that, then you can identify which one's which. But it's really not that difficult once you understand what abusers do and what victims do and why. But uh, so I just get worried for victims, for sure, because I deal with a lot of them that have been arrested or injured in some way by law enforcement. Right. Anyway, girly, um, is there anything that you else, anything else you wanted to add? We're, we are definitely going to have to end this soon because we only have like 15 more minutes and we've been going on for an hour and a half almost. Hour and four, hour well, and 15. Yeah. So we're doing good. <laughs> you know, it, for me, it's a, as soon as light bulbs step over my head, I just spit them out. So I'm good. Yeah. Well, you know, you did an awesome job. So I appreciate you being on with me to, tonight. And, uh, it was really funny because I, I had some ideas what I wanted to talk about. Of course, uh, I you know, what we uh, what I wrote down is what they were. And then when you brought that up, I'm like, hey, want to talk about that on my show tonight? Because <laughs> I really love yes. the idea of moral <laughs> obligations of survivors. I know. I do know moral. that we didn't cover a lot of number five. It was a don't lower your standards. We didn't get to cover a whole lot of that. Right. Maybe you could recap that. Yeah. Um, well, it, you know, we all have our standards. We all have our um, belief system, and they will try to make changes to that. I mean, that one's not a very uh, detailed one. It's just they try to, to lower our standards or change our belief system, and they work at it. They're good. They're really good. And I don't even know how they do it, but you know, they groom you and they uh, condition you like no other to get you to change your standards and your your belief system. I've seen it over, you know, when my abuser after one year was done with me, I, I didn't even know who I was anymore. I said, I am not who I am. I don't know who I am. <laughs> I'm I'm not me. I don't know who I am because I wasn't me. You know, I spent so many years being me. And then this that, that year I was with him, I'm like, uh, I don't even know who I am anymore. And this happens a lot. Uh, one of my uh, council members on my domestic violence council, she uh, feels the same way. She's like, I don't know what he did, but I was not me anymore. I, I didn't have the same standards. I didn't have the same uh, nothing. You know, everything was different. And I said, I know. I don't know how they do it, but they're good at it. Did you have that situation going on? Yes. Yes, I did. Yeah. I, I feel like you've already said what I would have said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was that. That's just crazy. I don't know how they do it, but uh, one thing that everyone has to understand is an abuser is at one time a victim. And they're trained to be an abuser. So one thing about any victim, any of all of us, we can choose one of three directions 
to continue being a victim to uh, move forward, be a survivor and a thriver to help other people, or we can be yeah. an abuser. Those are our choices. We have three choices, and those are our choices. Yep. And you and I, we choose to help other people. We choose yeah, to not I think survive, it, I think it's, to thrive. Absolutely. I feel like that's part of like a calling from God. It's my. It's part of my life that I'm if I had to go through what I went through and I don't wish it upon anybody else, but um, that it's now part of my mission is to be there to advocate for others who've been there to believe what nobody else would believe. Right. um, And to help change the laws that are hurting victims and protecting um, perpetrators. Right. And that's what they do is they, protect perpetrators a lot the laws do that that is unfortunate but true oh but yeah i, I actually you. had a good conversation with my ex or my not my ex my cousin just over the weekend and he just got his criminal record expunged none of it was violent re- violence or domestic violent related his was um drug charges from like 20 25 years ago and he's barely got expunged and and he he, he felt the same way you know he's like it was easier for me to get off being in trouble when I did a grand theft auto when I was 17 years old um, than it was for the victim who I stole her car. Right. And that has nothing to do with violence. That has nothing to do with domestic. Right. It's a violation. When we're violated in any way, we have, we now will start to have a mental illness called PTSD or depression or, anxiety or uh, other Mm -hmm. things, suicidal ideation, Um, you know, the list goes on. And I talk about this um, a lot. Well, that's what my whole dissertation is on is all of that and how to heal from it. But, yeah, it's it's difficult. It's really difficult. People don't really understand, you know, victims are just in and out. In fact, I have to tell you, it was crazy. I was sitting Mm -hmm. in this class. I was sitting in this meeting with a bunch of people that are DV related. They have, they're in organizations with domestic violence. The um, assistant district attorney was there, the district attorney was there, and the assistant district attorney says to me, I know you want to just throw away the key. And I thought, no, you don't know what I want, and that's the last thing I want. I want them to be, you know, lined up and shot. But that being said, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think we need to worry about their job. And I thought, are you freaking kidding me? You're worried right now about their job when they don't give a shit about our job. In fact, 60% of all victims lose their jobs because of perpetrators. And I have an ADA worried about the job. Well, let's just have them come in on weekends so we don't hurt their job. Are you kidding me? Put them in for 10 years and lose the, the doggone job. Yeah, absolutely. I lost lose a lot it. of jobs when I was married to him. And I was the breadwinner. Um, in our marriage, I was the sole breadwinner after the first year ma- of marriage. And that happened um, a lot. <laughs> that happened yeah, a lot. Yeah. I, see, and I didn't know the statistics. It took, you know, years of being abused and then finally seeing the light, you know? Yeah. It took years of, after being divorced before I saw the light because he still had complete control over me even for two and a half, three years after our divorce. Yeah. Yeah, me and so, my, I have a bunch of DV friends, of course, and one of my friends, she's like, 
he had this six-figure job. You know, after three months, he had to quit it because he had to make sure I uh, didn't talk to anybody, that I didn't go anywhere I shouldn't have, that I went straight to work and straight home. And, um, yeah, he, he's tried every which way to get her fired. And she uh, she's a teacher in a pro- as a profession. And um, he's tried everything. And But, yeah, he quit his job after three months. Wow. And he, he had a six-figure job. He is, had a really is this the job. one the, the, with the girl that has a broken wrist and got arrested? No. No, no, that one is in Southern Utah. The one I'm talking about is in Northern oh. Utah. Oh, okay. But, uh, you know, I've seen it time and time again. They'll call the work and it harass the people there. And they're finally, um, like at work, they're like, yeah, I, I mean, not my job, but this was this ha- happened to another girl that I know. They're like, yeah, we can't have you here. We just can't deal with this person, you know, calling here all the time. Um, yeah. They'll do anything. They'll do anything. They'll, and one thing they love to do is have law enforcement. Uh, they pull in the law enforcement card. They, you know, make up some story, and then law enforcement's calling you at work. Well, we need to talk. And they're like, okay, but this isn't the time and the place to call me. Well, I'm going to continue harassing you here until you do what I say. And um, yeah. I have a girl on my council that happened to, and I said, number one, you just get a lawyer, tell them to shut him down. And that's what she had to do. Absolutely. She's put out. She's put out a hundred thousand dollars to, you know, fight off this abuser. Well, a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. How many people? How many of us have that sitting around? Right. I know I don't. I know I. You know. have to be. You have to be. You have to be in the six figures and higher, the higher six figures to have access to that if you're a victim. Right. Yeah. So and they'll and sometimes they'll talk you into quitting your job so that you they have complete control over you. That we which that. was what I did with my first year. Yeah. My first year, I was supposed to be the stay-at-home mom with with my son who he adopted and his two. Yeah. And then the next year, he decided he needed to quit his job, which I found out that he had a choice: you get fired or you quit and go to school. Yeah. And yeah. then I supported him. So, well, and then yep. just like that girl on, on group when she said, you know, uh, I don't have a job. I don't have access to a job. I have little kids at home. He goes over everything yeah, I four spend. Children. Yeah. And the oldest girl in kindergarten, isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah. What? Didn't she say the oldest is in kindergarten? Uh, I, Out I of the four? That, I thought there was I, one a little bit older than that. I thought there was two in school, but... But oh, that's right. Three, three were at home. Three yeah, were at home. You're right. But I just felt so sorry for him. Like, you know, um, if he goes over every dime, you... <laughs> unless you have your mom watch the kids while you work part-time and stash that away so he doesn't know where it's at. I mean, I don't know, you know, right. how do you how do you fix that? Um, well, in her situation, it made me think of the movie, and I cannot remember. I think it was Line with the Enemy. Is what it's called. It's with Julia Roberts. Yeah, Lying with the Enemy, absolutely. It's very good. She needs to watch that to recognize that she needs to start coming up with different hobbies and stashing money away. And when he's not around, you know, start working up and and stashing that away for a potential exit plan. Like, we we understand that we can't tell people, if you're a victim of, of domestic violence, if you're currently in that situation, we cannot tell you to run away and leave. There are certain right. times where 
people who are in a victim of domestic violence do not understand that there are sometimes that it is lethal, deadly, oh. lethal, dangerous to yeah. run away or to try to leave at certain times because of how bad it has gotten. Yeah, that's when 70% of all deaths occur, 72% of all deaths occur when they're trying to leave or after they've left, right? Yeah. It is lethal. Absolutely. And that's why, did you notice I said to her, um, I said, how are you preparing for safety? Yeah. I don't say leave. I say prepare for safety because she has to make that decision when to leave, but if she has safety plans put into place that she can leave at a moment's notice and she has a place to go and she has clothes stashed somewhere and she has money stashed somewhere and, you know, whatever she can get. Or maybe right. she has an underground she can work with. You know, she has to. We, all victims that are in their situation have to prepare for safety. 100%. Yep. But anyway, and that's, girlfriend, and that's, that's, you know, quietly, you know, getting it, you know, tell them it's a hobby or tell them it's a job or whatever right. and work right. a little bit extra hours and, like, like, sneak under that $20 chair, $20 there until it builds up. And, you know, right. if you're in that kind of situation, you know, if you don't have the family support that could just up and move you out of state or up and hire the best attorney for your protection and document, right. document, document, document everything. everything. Journals are... Journals are um, considered time-stamped for um, stuff that can be entered into courts. Yeah, So journal everything. I agree with you on Anyway, that. sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's just we're running out of time, and I've got to do some closing stuff. So, hey, um, I'm going to call. I'll call you later as soon as we're done here. Okay, sweetie? Thank you. All right. Love you. Love you, too. Okay, talk to you later. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Okay, before closing, I just want to thank everybody for listening tonight. Um, Cassandra did an awesome job. I'm glad she came on. Um, She had some really good thoughts and ideas tonight, and so I wanted to use them. So I said, hey, why don't you come on? We'll discuss them. And I wanted more for a co-host because uh, I wasn't really interviewing her. We were just going to be discussing stuff. that we've been talking about in in a group that we're in. Um, The topics tonight are deep concern for thrivers. Please um, replay this show if you missed anything. Uh, I think we nailed it. I think we did a really good job and she was absolutely awesome. Okay, I wanna remind everyone about the Domestic Violence Conference um, in Southern Utah, June 7th and 8th. Please go to savve.org, and I call that save, but it's suave, I think. It's actually how it's pronounced, but um, we're suave, but we call it save, saving abusive violence victims (laughs) through education. Anyway, so uh, that's savve.org for more information and for signing up. I want to thank my listeners. For listening tonight, uh, I think I already said that you're you're amazing. Uh, you let us know how things are going. I appreciate that. So tonight, um, I hope you learned something from what we were talking about, and I hope it helps you in your recovery as well. We'll be getting together next week, uh, 6 p.m. Pacific, 7 Mountain, 8 of course Central. And my goal 
is to have someone on. Um, I want to have a guy on and talk about um, male abuse. So that's my goal. I wanted to actually have that tonight, but I haven't been able to find someone. So what I decided is if I can't find anyone by next week, what I will do is I will just um, talk about male abuse, uh, male victims uh, of abusers. And we'll talk about that subject. So for you, please stay safe and have a great week. This is Shereen signing off. Have a good night. Bye-bye.